Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here each week on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. Before we start today's episode, I just want to do a little check-in with the Milkshakes for Mali community. I know that many of you are either blood product recipients with ongoing health challenges, or you love people who fit that description. Today in Queensland, we've had over 10,000 COVID cases, and there have been 5,000 children diagnosed with the virus in the last two weeks. Four out of the five people living in our house have a rare genetic form of diabetes, meaning that our immune systems just don't function as well as they could, and Mali is also immune suppressed. COVID for any of us could be incredibly serious. And honestly, I'm super anxious at the moment. We're limiting community contact for all members of our family. Our children won't be returning to their therapy appointments or their classrooms until they are fully vaccinated. And just a reminder that there are support services available. Lifeline can be contacted on 13 11 14. I'm also receiving great support from the Carers Club. They have a wonderful Facebook page where you can connect with other current and bereaved carers. They run face-to-face carers circle groups here on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And they also do online circles for people all over Australia. And I'll pop a link in the details in our show description. No matter where in the world you are listening, it's been a really long few years in this global pandemic. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Milkshakes for Mali community, and I'm sending you all my love. On today's episode, we are looking at how blood products can improve quality of life and buy critically ill patients more time with loved ones. Today's guest, Jeff, suffers from a type of blood cancer called myeloma. It is a cancer which develops from plasma cells in bone marrow. There is no cure, but treatment options can help to manage the condition, and this can include the use of blood products. Plasma cells are a type of white blood cells found in bone marrow. They are part of the immune system and help to fight infection. When cancerous, these abnormal cells spread throughout bone marrow, reducing the space for normal cells to be made. This interview is a tough one for me because I know Jeff, his wife Lauren and their two little girls. Lauren and I worked together for years. Lauren and Jeff were guests at our wedding. We shared our pregnancies and we birthed our first babies within days of each other, sharing that unique vulnerability of transitioning to motherhood together. On living with cancer, fatherhood and his exceptional wife. Here is Jeff. So Jeff, welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. It's so lovely to have you as a guest. Thank you for joining us. Um, the last oh, time, the last time that I would have seen you would have been Mali's charity ball when we were raising money for her seizure response service dog, Patty. And I'm happy to report that he has completely changed her life. Um, He has done all of the things that we hoped that he could do and more. So thank you so much for being a part of that. It was so lovely to see you in that night. You're welcome. No, I'm glad it went so well. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we share is a general love and admiration of your beautiful wife, Lauren. Um, can you tell me how you guys met? 
Oh man, do you want the long story or the short story? <laughs> Whatever story you want to tell me. No, well, the, the short story is that we uh, we met in a backpacker hostel just outside of Lisbon in Portugal. Yeah. Um, and she was with a friend at the time, and uh, she was kind of like the third wheel who kept getting in the way of me busting a move. So I didn't get to bust a move the first time we met. Um, but I let her know just after having left, we, we hung out for like three days or something. And then after parting ways, I sent her an email just telling her how awesome I thought she was. And then uh, we caught up a year later in, we arranged to meet a year later in the Central America in Guatemala. And we did volunteer work together. And after three days of hanging out there she was giving me absolutely no signs whatsoever that she was interested so I was like oh I can't handle this so I thought I just I thought you know I, I took matters into my own hands I thought that's it I'm just going to tell her I think she's great and I think we should have a relationship so I um I took her to this really romantic spot because I'd already I'd already sussed out this this area yeah I took her to this really romantic spot overlooking this um mountain lakes rimmed by volcanoes and it was like you know it was at night so the stars are out and uh there was like hippies playing around a bonfire banging their bongo drums you know <laughs> so it was very atmospheric and there was like um, lightning bugs in the bushes all around us and um, i'm trying to get up the guts because she's still giving me no signs whatsoever that she's interested <laughs> and so i'm trying to gather up the guts to say something and then i, I like i just looked into the into the heavens and i said all right god if you want me to say something to us send me a shooting star and then right then for a shooting star oh wow so i thought okay that's it it's ordained so i just said to her you know i said in spanish i said in spanish because we we're speaking spanish to to each other at the time i said you know i, I know it's only been three days but i think we could have something special blah 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 and and she said are we going to do this in spanish i'm like no i guess not <laughs> I love her. And she's then, amazing. Uh, <laughs> I know. She's very pragmatic. And then she said she agreed, she agreed that she thought we could have something special. And um, and then and then she'd primed me, right, with all these stories about how proper and gentlemanly Canadian boys are. So I thought, you know, not like Australian boys, you know. <laughs> no. And uh, so I thought to myself, okay, so I should ask her if I should kiss her. So I said, oh. So can I kiss you now? And and she said, no. <laughs> so so she made me wait another three days before I was allowed to kiss her. She's special. Ordinarily, ordinarily I would have just leaned straight in there and gone for it, you know. <laughs> and as an Australian girl, I probably wouldn't have waited three days. I would have just got in there and got what I wanted, which is what I did yeah, with my exactly. beautiful husband. <laughs> if I had no, a waited for him to make the decision, I'd still be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the one of the subtle differences between our cultures, I think. Yes. They're, they're a much more polite culture. Oh dear. So that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you guys are now yeah, married. Yeah. Um, you settled down in Australia and you're raising two incredible daughters um in your beautiful home in country, New South Wales. Um, yeah. when did you start to have concerns around your health? Okay, this is a this is an interesting story. So um you know, I think like most young blokes, I thought I was invincible until my uh, my brother died of leukemia when he was 31. 
Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I was like, oh, okay, look, it could happen to me. Um, and uh, he had he had a one year old son at the time. He'd only just been recently married, and uh, it was you know it was devastating for our family. And yeah, absolutely. So after that uh, that point on, I was you know I was it was I guess it was on my mind. And then in 2017, I had this. This is yeah. This is really weird. I don't know. Do you, do you ever have psychic experiences? Sure do. And we've had, I've talked about it through the podcast as well, that since losing Benjamin, one of our, so Campbell's twin brother, Benjamin, since he died, we've had lots of experiences that we can't explain any other way, but it's certainly changed the course of the way that we've lived our lives. Wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, so in 2017, I had this dream where uh, basically there were these two very, I don't know, powerful, like with a lot of potential energy in them. I don't know whether they were beings, objects. And I was controlling them. I had them under control, had them under control. And then all of a sudden I lost control and they escaped and they multiplied and they, you know, they got really powerful and, you know, started. And, um, you know, one of the things I tried to do was because they had, they were really hot, really had a lot of hot energy. I tried to, put them out with water. I tried all these different things and nothing worked. And at the end of the dream, my, um, my boss was in it at the time. And my boss at the time had given me the, he, he was like, don't worry, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And then I woke up. And as soon as I woke up, I was like, oh my God, I know what that means. I know what it is. I know what it is. This is something's been released. Something's escaped. Mm. You know, this is the, this is the start of something bad for my health. And then, um, and the, uh, the, the thing that the relevance of my boss in that dream was that at the time he'd been asking me to research a way to fund this breakthrough cancer treatment called Kimria. So then get to 2019 and, um, Lauren again for my 45th birthday insists that I go for a checkup that I go for a blood test very pragmatic that and, one um, <laughs> yeah she is because I had I had high cholesterol at the time she's like okay go get it checked go get it checked and I was like dragging my feet dragging my feet and then eventually I complied I went and got the test she basically she said it she said look for my for my for my birthday this year that's what I want I want your blood test I'm like, okay yeah. fine so I complied, went and got the blood test, and then it came up with this anomalous reading. And then um, I, the doctor said, "Oh, look, it's probably nothing, but we'll, you know, we'll get another check. Got another check. Oh, it's probably nothing, but we'll get another check." So I don't know, three or four blood tests later, and he's like, "Oh, look, you know, it's weird, but it's probably nothing." And I and I said, "No, look, my brother died of leukemia. I think this oh. is something. I want to get this. I want to get see a specialist." Yeah. I saw a specialist, you know, this, this, this all took months, this whole process of months. And then I eventually saw a specialist and she pretty much straight away said, yeah, look, that's not good. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, a really, this is a really bad sign. Um, sent me for some more in-depth tests, a bone marrow biopsy and all this kind of stuff. And then the, yeah, the results came back uh, December, 2019 that I had myeloma. That's incredible. That mind body connection with that dream yeah. and you knowing that something was happening with your body. I, yeah. That's just phenomenal. And I'm so glad that your wife pushed you so hard to go and get tested. 
Um, so you have yeah. a diagnosis of myeloma. So we have explained at the top of the episode in the introduction that I record what myeloma is and what it means. Um, and yeah. I always say to people as well, this isn't a medically and scientifically correct podcast. It's just your recollection and the way that you experience it. So don't worry about having to get any of that stuff perfectly correct. Um, sure. So now you have a diagnosis of myeloma, which is a type of blood cancer. Um, Lauren and I have yeah. chatted about the irony that plasma infusions are what is keeping our daughter Marley alive. And it's your plasma cells that are making you sick. Um, what advice have you been yeah. giving around yeah. what this means for your life and your prognosis? Uh, well, initially, you know, they just sort of gave us the the good and bad news that, you know, it's, it's treatable, but it's not curable. Mm -hmm. And they said the, um, the, the treatment is, you know, pretty full on. So it was chemo months of chemo and then a, a bone marrow transplant mm -hmm. and then basically maintenance chemo for the rest of your life. Right. Um, so yeah, so 2020 was meant to be my treatment because of COVID got delayed and um, which was ended up being lucky because uh, by the time 2021 came around, a, a new treatment was listed on the PBS that was um, better wow. than the old treatment. Yeah. So 2021 was basically the year of treatment. So January treatment started in January, um, had four rounds of chemo and um, that was just brutal. Absolutely mm -hmm. freaking brutal. Um, uh, I tried my hardest to work for as long as I could. And then, yeah, I just, I uh, ended up having to leave work around May. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then they gave me a bit of a rest between the chemo and the bone marrow transplant. And then, um, yeah, went in for the bone marrow transplant. And that's, again, lucky, but it's still an ordeal. So do you know much about bone marrow transplants no and i'm sure our listeners would like to yeah hear more about whatever it is as well so just tell it from your perspective so they so again so whilst this is all going on i'm replaying in the back of my mind what would happen with my brother you know so yeah, he, sure. he also was uh eligible for a bone marrow transplant because of his diagnosis and and he he had to find a uh, a bone marrow donor so one of the family members was going to be a donor. Right. And, um, you know, they would have had to have sucked all the bone marrow out with these giant syringes and, you know, mm. quite an ordeal. And then they would have had to have re-injected all the the, the uh, donor's bone marrow. And then there was no guarantee that the donor's bone marrow would have taken either. Mm -hmm. He could have rejected it. Okay. But, but there's been a lot of advances since then. So that, that was all in 2007. So, yeah, 2021, 14, late, 14 years later. And, um, uh, the, the, yeah, the technology has just really improved. So now they extract your stem cells, which, which is an ordeal. Like you're on a machine for eight hours right. extracting stem cells. Um, they, I don't know, they cultivate those stem cells or do something to them. And then they destroy all of your bone marrow with, really intense chemo so they don't have to suck it out anymore they right. basically kill it kill it yep. off so there's a window of time where you have no bone marrow and therefore no immune system so you're at you're at high risk so you have to go into hospital in you know isolated from the world yeah 
and then they pump pump the stem cells back in, just into your blood system and then the stem cells find their way to your bones and they repopulate the bone marrow they just know where to go and they know isn't that amazing so um I was in hospital for two weeks waiting for my bone marrow to repopulate enough for my immune system to be at least at a minimum level for them to let me go back out into the population. Mm-hmm. And so like every day, like they're, you know, they're, they're coming in with the, the count and it's, it's zero every day, it's zero, zero, zero. And like after, I can't remember how many days, it was like, I don't know, 10, 11 days, it was still zero. And the doctor was just like, I could tell he looked worried. I'm like, yeah. oh, shit, you know, yeah. like, this isn't good. Because this is basically when you're at most risk. Like they, when, when you go in, they tell you, look, everyone gets an infection. Most people end up in the ICU, you know, but don't worry, we'll, we'll get you through it. But mm-hmm. I was like, seriously, shooting, I was shooting myself. I was thinking, yeah, that's how my brother died. It was the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. The treatment, the you know. So the whole time I'm thinking, this is it. You know, like I'm, I'm going to go, if I'm going to go, this is when I'm going to go and um, I'll get an infection just like my brother did. And that's what, how I'll go as well. And so every day, like we, you know, we're waiting for this count to come up and then I think it was, yeah, day 12 or something, it came up and you should have seen the look of relief on the doctor's faces and like, oh, okay, this really did mean. They really were worried. Yeah. And then as soon as, and then Lauren came in and as soon as she came in, I told her and I just broke down and I just, I hadn't cried for like, I don't know, since I had my diagnosis, I hadn't cried. Mm. And, um, but I realized I'd just been the whole time was in the back of my mind. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is it. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a relief that I'd, I'd gotten through it and I got through it really well. I didn't get any infections. I was there by all accounts, a model patient. So I was so lucky um and in the back yeah in the background of this uh the olympics are on so i got to watch the olympics 24 7 so that was great <laughs> look you gotta find the rainbows in the storm don't you <laughs> you gotta right. find some sunshine <laughs> and and that's the weird thing kate like there was this like it was it was awful but there was also yeah there was lots of rainbows like yeah. um i don't know i don't know if we'll get to that later but yeah, like one of the rainbows is you know, I just got to, Lauren and I had spent so much time together and we always have a good laugh and yeah, she's an amazing support and it it never felt heavy. It never felt like, um, I don't know. It, yeah, it didn't, just didn't feel like it was damaging emotionally or mentally. It was mm-hmm. all just physical, you know, like it was yeah. just really physically hard. And mm-hmm. then, um, so yeah, after you get the transplant done, you just basically have to recover. So wait for your bone marrow to grow back, and and then slowly but surely, you know, you get your strength back, and then you come back out in the community. And I'm, you know, now I'm back at work full time. Actually, been in the office a few days a week, and um, I'm pretty much back to normal, except for one one major drawback of the chemo is that it gave me nerve damage. Right. So I have um bad nerve damage in my feet in particular so it's called peripheral neuropathy yeah there's another story for that because i got treated for that and that's a great story if you if you're interested in that too so awesome (laughs) we might pick that one up at the end of the episode um so one of the questions that i was going to ask you and i guess this is particularly 
would have been particularly important for you given the experience that you had with your brother um, is yeah. that with COVID, this is the first time that a lot of people have really considered their own mortality and morbidity. And we've seen people face it in a way that they we probably haven't seen people face it on a large population scale before about being concerned about their own health. Um, you have experienced this in the middle of a global health pandemic. How has it changed your priorities? I guess we understand it from the point of view of living with an immunocompromised child in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, we were both living close to Canberra at the same time that the bushfires went through and we had to think about things like we actually relocated to Sydney because we were so concerned about how poor the air quality was and, you know, how Marley would cope with toxins in the air because she is immunocompromised. What we would do if we got evacuated into an evacuation centre, you can't put an immunocompromised person into an evacuation centre because she would have picked up <coughs> infection that could very well have taken her life. So we actually relocated to Sydney into a hotel close to a children's hospital during that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. How has this experienced um, just changed your priorities in the way that you've looked at life since becoming unwell? Um, I think our experience of COVID is probably different to most because uh, you know what Canberra's like, like it's it's such a bubble. Yeah. Um, we're, we're being insulated against the worst effects of COVID in terms of, you know, yeah, economic or financial impacts because we've had secure employment and yeah and um and because i had the uh, immune compromise issue um so shutting down and isolating wasn't a big deal for us it's like okay this yeah. actually benefited us because the kids didn't go to school and therefore they couldn't bring home nasty lurgies that i could potentially catch so mm -hmm. We actually had a lovely time as a family. Yeah. Um, so in the the first shutdown in 2020, we got right into the musical Hamilton. Um, yeah. You know, to the to the extent where the girls were learning the raps off by heart and <laughs> um and yeah and uh, yeah we just spent a lot more time together and and it was it was really nice actually. Yeah. Um, and I could I could just Lauren could just work remotely work from home. Mm -hmm. I was. I was off sick anyway, so um, yeah, it actually wasn't too bad for us. And as I said, because of COVID, my treatment got delayed, which did me another favour. So it's it's a weird circumstance where mm. um, we've actually seen to have benefited, if anything, from some of the lockdowns and things like that. And, yeah. And then uh, when I when I actually had my treatment, it was in that window where there weren't many cases and then I came out from my transplant and then all the cases went up and all the lockdowns happened and you know that suited me perfectly I was yeah. pretty much self-isolating anyway so mm. yeah Jeff and I have said that plenty of times that um the lockdowns and spending all the time together has just been amazing for us so um, before we moved to Queensland in that year, before we moved up here, um, we pulled the once COVID started, we pulled the kids out of school and homeschooled them from March to September. Oh, wow. Um, wow. The schools weren't closed, but given Marley's immune status, we couldn't have contact with the community. And her immunologist yeah. said to us, very, I said, you know, frank and fearless time. And she said, right, we don't know exactly what this COVID virus is going to look like but 
we had destroyed yeah. Marley's immune system with a drug called rituximab and we were supplementing it with something called microphenolate. Mm. So she had gone through a similar process to what you were describing with TMB cells um, and the way they were made in her bone marrow. Um, and she just said, yeah. look, and this was at a stage where we didn't have a good supply of ventilators. She said, if Marley gets COVID, we have two people present to hospital at the same time and we've only got one ventilator. Someone will look at Marley's records and she won't be the one getting the ventilator because she doesn't have a good chance of survival. They'll give it to the other person. And you need to have that front and centre of mind with every interaction that you have. Yeah, yeah, with the community. Yeah. So we, Jeff just went in and told his boss that that day I was in Sydney in hospital with Marley and he packed up his desk and came home and we thought it would be you know for a couple of weeks maybe a couple of months and I think Jeff's done three yeah. days in the office since then and we've moved to Queensland and all sorts yeah, well. of things so um yeah given that they've just opened the borders in Queensland and we've gone from having no cases to having 6,000 cases a day or whatever we had yesterday we're looking again at what we do now um yeah and yeah. when you know as you would well know when you've done something like that to your immune system destroyed your immune system to keep you alive then whether or not you can have vaccines is also a big question and how your body will react to vaccines so um marley is going into a special yes. unit at the children's hospital in brisbane they've got a special unit set up for complex yeah. kids um just with the assumption that having the covid vaccine will likely cause an autoimmune encephalitis relapse because her inflammation will increase in her body. Mm. Um, so we'll be very, 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 oh, very, God. very, very dependent on plasma donors at that time because it's the IVIG plasma infusions yeah. um, what reduces that blank brain yeah, inflammation yeah, yeah. and keeps her alive during that time. So we kind of feel like we're stuck between yeah. a rock and a hard place at the moment because if she gets COVID, she likely won't survive it. Um, but having the vaccine could potentially cause a relapse because of that inflammation in her body too. But that's what we've got to do. Yeah. So oh, my God, Kate. Yeah. Oh. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's but huge. we just yeah. do what we've got to do. But she's doing brilliantly at the moment. So she's stable enough at the moment um, that, well, yeah. before we had this new virus variant and everything went crazy she was supposed to start um kindergarten um this term so two years delayed to start school but that's okay um so two two hours a day four yeah. days a week um one-to-one -one support for seizure risk all of that kind of thing but we've got her to a point where she's stable enough now that she yeah can do those kind yeah. of things so um yeah it's really exciting we just have to manage yeah, all the yeah. risk around it um so yeah, yeah absolutely we so i'll just tell you quickly then about the the vaccine for me um, please do yeah yeah uh so initially they told me that there was no point getting the vaccine until at least a year after my transplant because my you know relevant cells in my bone marrow just wouldn't wouldn't take the virus the vaccine anyway mm -hmm. um or wouldn't respond to it or whatever um but then because all the cases broke out my doctor said no nah, look just just get it it's better than nothing so yeah. um I've, yeah i've had two shots now and i'm up for my third in a, in a couple of weeks um and luckily no no adverse reactions so amazing that's good that makes yeah. me feel better i'll think about that i'll take that on board when marley goes and has hers and hope that she has the same reaction that you do yeah yeah 
Oh, um, look, it's scary. It's totally scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've agreed to come on the podcast to tell your story as a blood product recipient. What role have blood donors played in your treatment? Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed in, in uh, December 2019, and apart from increased thirst, um, I, I couldn't, you couldn't tell that I had anything, basically. I felt fine. But then in February of 2020, uh, I got a really bad bout of pneumonia, like out of nowhere. Like it, and it hit me for six. Like mm -hmm. I was knocked flat and, uh, you know, rushed to hospital in an ambulance. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit of a shock. And I, I was, I was really sick very suddenly. And they said it was because, yeah, my immune system wasn't responding the way it should be because mm -hmm. of the myeloma. So because of that, I was eligible for IVIG products to boost my immune system. Yeah. So once a month now I get IVIG um, and I don't know if this is the same for Miley, but it seems to have a positive impact for me. So I once I have it, I actually feel good. Like, yeah, yeah really good. Um, so I'm very, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. And I haven't been, I haven't had a, an infection since then i haven't had a bad infection since then um and in fact yeah no i'm very grateful and so in fact uh the girls brought home a, a really nasty cold from school just before christmas thank yeah. you very much and um and i got it and we were worried we we're like oh crap here we go, we go. Yeah. um but i kicked it in in a week so so yeah i think you know the ivig definitely helps with that so so after I had my transplant, I had to have some blood products just to, you know, boost my immune system and also to um, make sure I had the relevant cells that make your blood clot in case you get cut or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be on IVIG for the rest of my life. And uh, the one good piece of news that I left out, sorry, was that uh, after the transplant, I'm in remission. So I'm in... Amazing. Yeah. So I'm in... Um, I'm in good remission. What I they call it a deep remission. Yeah. Um, and the prognosis is basically they don't know. So the average is five years mm -hmm. before it comes back. Um, but fingers crossed, I get longer than that. So. Wow. And how incredible yeah. that you know. It's taken me a while to write this interview and even to do it with you, given that I know your family and you know. Lauren and I went through that process of becoming mothers. We were pregnant at the same time. We did our prenatal yoga together. We birthed oh, that's right. our first babies. I was actually in labor the first time and still drove Lauren to one of the yoga classes and decided in the car that I probably should go to the hospital. I was only really? labor the first time with Thomas at 28 weeks and spent that night in a delivery suite. I oh, dropped her gosh. off and went, oh, I actually really don't feel that great. I think I should go and get checked out. And they did yeah. stop it for a couple yeah. of weeks before I had him a bit early. Um, but going, you know, through that real time of vulnerability together and, you know, I just yeah. love your family yeah. and you're just such beautiful, oh, thank beautiful, you. beautiful people. And yeah. just the thought of the fact that blood donors have played a role in buying you some more time to spend with that beautiful yeah. family is just such a special yeah. thing. I think, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about the fact that blood donors aren't just life-saving, that they can improve quality of life. Um, but it's also about, you know, 
preservation. And we say that with Marley's IVIG, that when she has an acute relapse, the plasma infusions are life-saving, but every infusion in between is life-preserving for her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, without it, we wouldn't still have her. We, you know, there's no doubt in that whatsoever. And so ever going into, you know, blood donor place to give plasma myself, if it's empty, I can't help but have a little bit of a panic, which has been inevitable with people having COVID vaccinations and lockdowns and, you know, not being able to travel and yeah. all that kind of thing. There has been critical plasma shortages in Southeast Queensland, which has been really scary for us as a family. Um, And there were times when we were living in Canberra that we actually had to go to Sydney to have the infusions done because there wasn't enough supply in Canberra and it was easier to move the kid than the plasma when she was that sick. So um, I'm just so grateful on a personal level to plasma donors just for improving your quality of life and giving you more time with your beautiful family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty special. Um, So what message would you like to give to the donors um, who have donated plasma and blood products to help with your treatment um, or to anyone who's considering becoming a donor in the future? Yeah, I guess uh, when you give a donation, it's kind of impersonal, isn't it? You don't think about the the end result. you know, I've, I've donated myself before I got sick. Um, but I guess, yeah, I would just say that it's always worthwhile reminding yourself that there are families at the end of this that benefit and mm-hmm. we've certainly been one of them and I'm, yeah, very grateful. So my, yeah. my objective is to stay alive long enough to see my girls grow up and yeah. that's, um, you know, blood donors are helping me achieve that. So, mm. yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jeff. That's all that we need. (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. Thanks, Kate. This chat was so special and not just because it started with that incredibly romantic story. I'm so grateful to Jeff for being so candid in the descriptions that he gave and showing such incredible strength in that vulnerability. After losing his brother to a similar type of cancer at a young age, I can't imagine that terror that Jeff felt with that diagnosis and prognosis that he was given. And what an incredible gift Australian blood and plasma donors have given him and the people who love him to have the gift of more time. Time to do things like sharing another Christmas morning with his beautiful daughters and creating many, many more romantic stories with his incredible wife. This story is just such a true reflection that donors don't just save lives, they keep families together. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk, and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift, and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Myloma Sufferer Jeff. Marley's dad and my lovely husband Jeff Fisher did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Marley Lifeblood Team Tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and make sure you subscribe. And we'd love it if you could share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Marley. 
Thank you for my prize, Mom.